0: Hi, this is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Recently, I was giving a talk about addressing unconscious or implicit bias in our language at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. At the end, one of the questions I received from a participant was, it sometimes takes a lifetime to create these biases that sometimes become innate. How do we unlearn those biases? I'm continually inspired by the work of health providers and public health professionals in helping shape public discourse around some of the most pernicious and difficult issues facing society. The high-profile nature of the Starbucks incidents gives us a chance to locate current conversations of the role of implicit bias in health disparities within the context of public debates about implicit bias, and about the ways organizations seek to address implicit bias. So in the spirit of continuing a cross-sector dialogue and sharing in the goal of creating the conditions where everyone has the opportunity to reach their full health potential, I offer here some of what I've learned as an educator. Now, I'm not trying to provide a fixed or proper way to address implicit bias. Rather, I'm sharing some topics you might want to think about if your organization is considering the issue of implicit bias. Welcome to Ten Minutes to Better Patient Communication with Dr. Anne Marie Lebel. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. As you know, historically, Americans have experienced variable access to care based on race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status age, sex, disability status, sexual orientation, gender identity, and residential location. And all of this is from the AHRQ 2016 National Healthcare Quality and Disparities Report. Of course, links are in the show notes. Now, health disparities are due to many factors that are man-made, and one of them is implicit bias. Recent research on implicit bias has shown how medical care, public health, and human service providers can unintentionally contribute to racial or ethnic health disparities. There are documented links between healthcare professionals' implicit bias and disparities in receipt of healthcare in multiple clinical outcomes. These links extend to differences in the health services offered and provided to minority populations. Even in terms of health research, implicit bias has been identified as a cause for underrepresentation of particular groups in public health and in epidemiological studies, as well as in clinical trials. As I've written before, some specializations in medical schools have made a goal of diversity and equity. So models, guidance, theoretical orientations have been developed to address bias and stereotyping. Yet reaching these goals, or actually following these various models, can be distressing and uncomfortable for those involved. The process of facing biases or stereotypes is, as education leader Marilyn Cochran Smith pointed out years ago, quote, risky business. It can be threatening to acknowledge that we live and participate in networks and systems geared to work better for some than for others, and that we have a place in maintaining these. Yet, some educators have been addressing racism and discrimination on individual and systemic levels for multiple decades. This work itself is built on years of sustained efforts of marginalized people from different race and class groups who have focused national and international attention on issues of discrimination. Now, I don't think there's a researcher out there who would say, yes, a one-shot workshop would undo bias. It's probably safer to say that there are researchers who would agree training can be helpful as part of larger efforts. So if you find yourself in an organization which is or may be addressing implicit bias, I offer three considerations. One, small changes can be the enemy of large changes. Now, we have all been involved in events or initiatives that have given more the illusion of progress than made substantive progress, maybe addressing the symptoms rather than the cause. The problem comes when doing little things can push bigger things further from view and ultimately may even make them more difficult to engage with. Take food banks, for example. Food banks are glad when people donate food. They acknowledge they are a frontline short-term resource, but they also know they are not a solution to food insecurity. As people feel they are doing their part by donating to food banks, they can lose sight of the root cause of food insecurity. One organization points out, quote, in fact, food banks are counterproductive because their existence creates the illusion that food insecurity is being taken care of in the community, end quote. Now, no one is telling you to not donate to a food bank, but donating to food banks can distract needed attention from why they are there in the first place. Larger issues like poverty, income inequality. So be cautious when small changes in your organization may threaten, even unintentionally, larger changes that need to be made. Two, limitations of individual level efforts. Yes, Bias is enacted by individuals, and it is hard work delving into how care providers understand and construct issues of bias and how they link these to their roles as providers. But as I've written before, individual-level efforts must be matched and supported by systems-level thinking. Sure, Starbucks closed 8,000 stores for half a day, This seemed to indicate that it was the frontline people, if you will, the employees at each site who will be trained. But what are they doing systemically? Because bias can hide in plain sight, in normal routines. Take a look at some of the structures and processes at your organization. These can hold sedimented biases, often invisible through years of use. Another way of saying this is, are your structures somehow working against your goals? For example, in a medical school, one potent structure is the curriculum. The assumptions you might make about teaching and learning and your audience of learners in your curriculum, your educational programs, your endeavors, your materials, all of these may challenge biases or unwittingly Normalize them. I have heard multiple providers in academic medicine talk about the quote, hidden curriculum in medical education. I certainly have firsthand experience with unearthing hidden aspects of the curriculum in education. How is your organization handling conversations about who and what is represented and who is left out? What is being done, if anything, to examine program structures? And to identify the assumptions about the kind of person, whether it's a student, patient, community member, who's privileged or does well in these structures. Number three, bias training as separate from work. Part of what makes for less than effective professional development sessions is when they are separated from work. Sure, there is often the need to get people together at the same time, maybe in the same space, and that does mean stepping away from the normal tasks and routines of one's job. This makes a complicated situation uh, a little more complicated when the connection between what is done and said in the training and what is done and said in real work is left for facilitators and participants to make themselves Like you're going to hope there's some kind of transfer of these add-on actions to everyday work once everybody goes away. Or the responsibilities on the participants to find a way to make it work. And the subtext is, well, if they don't, well, that's on them. Now, I join my voice with those who suggest that addressing implicit bias is not something we do once or once a year, but an ongoing project of our professional lives. As central to and inseparable from the work we do each day. In this short space, I hope to draw your attention to things you might not have noticed. I hope to offer you a way to think about some of what is involved in addressing implicit bias. It is challenging work. That is why communities of practice are essential. We're socialized into language and into ways of thinking, and communities of practice can, over time, be powerful forces for socializing us into ways of thinking, talking, and acting. If you would like my help and support in your organization as you address implicit bias, or any of the topics I cover in this podcast series, contact me. Go to healthcommunicationpartners.com. Click on Email Us. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel, and this has been 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication,